Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth in the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. Stay tuned. So, we're going to do something that we haven't done here in a long time. We're going to read a verse together out loud. Since nobody is going to be muffled, we don't have mass, okay, we can do this. We can read the word. So if you can't read this, this is um, John 14 and 23 through 24, and it is the New King James Version. So if you want to look that up, if it's too far or whatever, then you can do that. I'll give you one second to do that. Today we're going to be talking about going from conviction to character. Now, as Lent has started with Ash Wednesday, David set us up nicely with the talk about Jesus saying that he who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. Gave this amazing message on hesitation and how that can grow in our heart into something that's more nefarious. But we are called to be just like Jesus as he's walking to the cross, also preparing all these things that are going to happen, but he's doing so out of obedience to his Father. So uh, there's a verse that I'm going to read that comes from the Gospel of Luke, but this is a bit of an aberration from the Gospel of Luke. Nonetheless, it's going to be one that we kind of revisit our vision. Reception 22 is not just an idea or a concept. It is something that we're called to do as believers, as receive others into our environment. So I'm going to go through our values a little bit, but also talk about how we move from conviction to character. So if you guys want to stand up, we can read this together. Um, And scripture is awesome. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, you guys ready? We're going to sit together. I need to give you a countdown, I think. Okay, ready? One, two, Three, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I thank you, Father, that you have sent Jesus as the Word. As we follow him into obedience, then we find all the things that we need. That he has lived a life that is accessible to us, fully God, fully man, therefore providing an opportunity for us to walk closer to you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all these people that are part of this community. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and sit down. So this is how do we go from conviction to character? How do we take what God is speaking to us and walk it out in life? We always have these moments where we are feeling spiritually close to God. We are being convicted of something in our hearts. He's speaking deeply to us. And we go, oh, how do we take that into being folded into our life and created a different world that we live in, right? It's easy sometimes to 
be in tears, and you know, it's not easy to be in tears, but you know what I'm saying, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, moving upon our hearts, but it is for naught if we walk out the door and we are exactly the same. That to know that this life of love, love is an awesome word to say, it's harder to live out. Love demands obedience, and it demands suffering. Oh, the S word. Oh, it's a curse word. Suffering. Yet and still, we are always surprised when we suffer, aren't we? We are just shocked that something has happened that is going not according to plan, when this is the way it works in life. Who is one who is loved more than anybody that walked this earth? It's not a trick question. You know the answer is always Jesus. Who suffered more than anyone who has walked this earth? Oh, Jesus. Then that becomes the nature of our love many times. And he said, the reason my father loves me is because I keep his commandments. His obedience was a sign of his love, but then suffering happens, and we're shocked. I think it could be a measure of American exceptionalism, right? Exceptionalism says that optimism is for the privileged, that our privilege can inoculate us from bad times. I can avoid them for as long as possible until something happens that we all can avoid, and then suffering happens, and then our theology, our foundation is shaken. We're like, Jesus, this is why I'm with you. You suffered. You took all that stuff on the cross, right? That means I don't have to suffer. That is not true. Because to love is to suffer. When you love someone, you are opening the door for someone to hurt you worse than you could have before you loved. Sure, it's nice to write songs about it, and it's lovey-dovey, and it's amazing, and you know what I'm saying? You're getting the flutters, and it's Valentine's Day, but truthfully, we are opening a door for someone to hurt us more than before we loved. In Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, the writer is talking about Jesus as the high priest. The high priest would visit the temple, the holy of holies, and make a sacrifice to atone for the sins that happened the previous year. And as they atoned for the sins, they were ones who would be honored. Melchizedek was an Old Testament priest who was honored by Abraham before the law even happened. Abraham so much honored him that he gave him a tithe before a tithe was even a thing. But Jesus is our high priest. Why? Because he didn't offer an animal. He didn't offer some other kind of atonement, an object outside of himself. He offered literally himself. So who, this is Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. There is more richness in suffering than for victory. America traditionally has been a place that doesn't do well with suffering. We 
don't even like to talk about it. When is the last time you ever heard this country apologize for the bad things that they've done? By slavery. All of this litany of history that we have where we can stand and judge Russia because of the way they're treating Ukraine, but America has not been tiptoeing through the tulips around the world. There's been death, there's been destruction, there's been midnight raids on countries that you never knew about. Pulling people out of their homes, murdering people for the causes of American patriotism. We love to win. We will pull out of the war and go and leave before we were declared a defeat. That same culture creeps into us and we can't humbly say, I messed up. I did something wrong and incorrect. Much less embrace suffering the way Jesus did. There's a disconnect for us. We love to tout the victorious Jesus. We love to tout Jesus standing and resting on the throne. But love also offers suffering. But there are so many trials that make us stronger in the midst of this life that we live. And it's hard to say, it's hard to tell you this, but afterwards you will feel better even going through these tough things. I believe this is one of the main reasons that people don't obey God. Fear of suffering, right? God is going to tell me something that not only do I not want to do, but it is, it is he's going to call me to suffer. I know it. I know it. We just repeat it to ourselves. He's going to call me to suffer. So we never answer God. We never say yes. We never say no. We just say nothing, which is even worse. And this keeps our conviction in an infantile state. And it never grows into anything else. When I'm talking about conviction, I'm talking about that thing we feel in our hearts. We read something in the Word or God speaks to us and it pricks us and we go, Ooh, I should make a change in my life. But I know that it will cause me to lay down on things that I would like to do myself. We're afraid. We're afraid of suffering. But you know what the crazy thing is? Conviction cancels out fear. That when we are convicted because God has given us something, there's a boldness that comes in us to do what he said. Jesus was convicted and convinced of the, the way the Father had sent him to earth. That's why it looked like he walked around fearless because when God said it, it was done. I love my Father. Why? And I obey his commandments. Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will also keep my word. This is the way that I show my love to my wife. This is the way I show my love to my family. This is the way I show my love to all of you. I keep my word. And this is the way that we show that we love Jesus. When we are hearing, feeling a clear call to action. Where do we go with it? We are now convicted. Okay, all right, Lord, what should I do now that I am convicted? Consistent. Our conviction demands 
consistency. That we are what we do consistently, good or bad, right? To make a fair assessment of going, okay, this is what we do consistently, this is who I am. We can always aspire into other things and inspire that God would give us something else to do, but this is what we do in a consistent way. Everything demands consistency. A plant needs consistent water and sunlight. Children need consistent food, a lot of food, and consistent care and love. A marriage needs a deliberate understanding of loving each other and laying down your life. Nothing of significance grows without consistency, right? Okay, we would desire that this church would grow. That people would come, that we would have an impact on this world that's like, yeah, this is amazing, this is wonderful, here we come. But in the darkness, when nobody is looking, we are creating the character through our consistency of our church. That we are saying, you know what? I'm going to be here ready to go on time, right? I am not here to give anyone shame or guilt, but what I am here to do is to recognize when conviction happens and what to do about it, right? Instead of just letting it sit in a place of... I'll get to that another time because you become more and more fearless in your conviction when we are obedient to what God is calling us to do. This is not some ploy of manipulation and telling you what you should do. I am saying if God is speaking conviction to you, you must consistently walk it out because why? You become a fearless mofo in this world. You know what I'm saying? Can you say that in church? I didn't say the real word, but. You become fearless. You're not afraid of laying everything down for one word that God has given you. And then you see it happen. And then you see it come. Instead of just continually putting off, now nah, I'm going to put it off, now nah, I'm going to put it off, you are weakening your conviction. And then you know what happens? I don't hear God. Nope, I don't hear him. I don't hear him. Because we have determined not to take that conviction into a consistency in this world. To continue to move. All right, everything that we want to change in life demands us to do something. Because you know what? It proves to the Lord who is the ultimate picture of consistency. Sun coming up. Spring coming. Winter. Fall. He like the ultimate picture of consistency. We look at his creation. We look at his heart and say, oh, this is the pattern I'm supposed to follow in life and faithfulness to the Lord. You speak, I move, I'm obedient, I'm consistent, God. I'm not telling you to be consistent to anything he's not speaking to you, but what I'm saying is be consistent to the things he's speaking to you. And you know what happens? You become fearless. You're like, oh, man, how could Jesus walk to this cross knowing he was going to suffer? His conviction made him consistent in his steps. Even when he was wavering in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like, I'm going. I'm doing this. Nothing of significance grows without consistency. 
you are not what you do occasionally. You are what you do consistently. Good or bad, that is who you are. This is looking full on in the face of that. I mean, I was gonna, I mean, I meant to, I mean, I, that's fine to have hopes and aspirations, but you are what you do consistently. I love when my kids go, when are we going to eat? And I go, we have fed you every day of your lives. Why are you asking me when you're going to eat and are you going to eat? Yes, we have consistently fed you your whole life. God has consistently cared for you your whole life, but we still waffle when he asks us to do something. We go, Uh, uh, uh. we don't want to consistently follow him the way he has consistently provided for us as Jehovah Jireh and you know what that consistently consistency produces character what we're known for who we are what we, we can be trusted with I don't care about whatever flashy things people have, whatever flashy thing churches have. Show me your character. Show me your integrity. What you can be trusted with. What you've continued to do over time. That character that Jesus has created a place for us to live and see what this model was for life. And then lastly, character is personal, culture is organizational or in a family. Whatever we convicted of that we do consistently builds character individually and culture collectively. That's our culture. Our, our culture is and we're going to ease in here at 10. I'm not, say, I'm not saying I don't have hopes and aspirations. I'm telling you the reality of our life without, as much as I can, without guilt or without whatever. The reality is, as a pastor, is that when people come here, they come early, right? They come earlier on time if new people come. And most of the time they come and there's nobody here. My hope and my aspiration is that we will consistently show up ready to worship. Why? Because that's one of our values. It is worship, prayer, that we would be here worshiping God with all of our hearts because what is that? If you want to know what your purpose is, I know you probably want to know what your purpose is, it's worship. Everything that God has made is made to worship him. But also is another one of our values that we want to live into. It is justice. That we would care about what's going on in the world. That we would reach out to our neighborhoods. That we would give to the marginalized. I'm starting every week now to give and take meals to the little tent city in Humble Park. Because it's what we do consistently. That's who we are. We're praying consistently. Oh, you're a church of prayer. You're worshiping consistently. You're a church of worship. If we're not doing it consistently, that's not who we are. We just have hopes and aspirations. Discipleship. That we would be those who get together in community and talk about the word and focus on our spiritual growth together to love Jesus in the city where we are. Discipleship. And generosity is the last one, that we would be 
generous people, that we are giving away as much as possible, that we are showing up and that we are not saying, all right, Jesus, you know, something will happen one day and I don't know, but we are powerfully being generous. This is what this Easter egg hunt is about. Us being generous to our neighborhood and doing that as much as we can. We are what we do consistently. Love is made of obedience and suffering together. But you know what? If you're in love, it doesn't feel like suffering. It feels like joy. It feels like pleasure to lay more and more down of yourself to be a better version of who God has called you to be. Once upon a time, Jesus was so smart that he didn't think he had to be obedient. And Luke to his parents, you know what I'm saying? They're traveling in this caravan. And so in the caravan is all these families that are going down to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Now, you would just think your child is somewhere back in the caravan so you wouldn't worry about him. They hadn't seen Jesus for three days, right? They go and find Jesus in the temple. He was teaching in the temple, and people were marveling at Jesus. Oh, my God, he's so smart. He's amazing. Probably telling his parents, you should be so proud of him. They're like, uh... (laughs) He shows up. His parents show up. The first thing he says is, didn't you not know I would be in my father's house? <laughs> they don't write that in the Bible, but that's obviously what happened. Anybody that knows a parent, that's exactly what happened. Didn't you? Some snarky comment. <laughs> and then the next verse is, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Imagine being, literally, I know some kids that think they're the savior of the world, but imagine literally being the savior of the world and being subject to humans, to parents. But what happened to Jesus when he did that? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That when we are subject in obedience to what God is calling us to do, we naturally grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. Saying that he was subject to to them meant that he had to be obedient now for the rest of his life to mere humans. But even Jesus humbled himself. Now this is not some veiled, you know, I got to make enough um, qualifications for this because I've been in churches where this has been used to control people. Keep in mind that submission and subjection is a dirty word in a place where there is no love, right? Somebody tells me to be subject to them and they don't love them. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not telling you to be subject to me or subject to this church at all. I'm saying be subject to what God is speaking in your heart. That will last longer than this church. That will last longer than anything. You hearing what God is saying and moving in the proper direction and then we don't get compromised in our hearts. 
that we can make an unequivocal decision to follow Jesus, to follow his word, and it's done, and it's done. Obedience is going to cost us some pride, just like it cost Jesus. But what you receive is so much better than that. What would I be this close to St. Patrick's Day without mentioning St. Patrick, who has been reduced to a day that we drink on, but he was a holy man and a revivalist, using the clover, not the four-leaf, the three-leaf clover, to teach the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all gathered around one stem. St. Patrick was neither Irish nor Catholic. He was a Protestant Briton who was stolen from Britain and put in a little boat that they call Coracles. The Irish would run these raids around different areas. They took a 16-year-old St. Patrick, put him in a boat, and took him to Ireland where he stayed for six years. And he found the Lord in that time. God showed him how to escape, and he escaped with a group of sailors who were one day wandering in the dark, starving. They had been shipwrecked. Patrick, St. Patrick prays, and a herd of pigs comes running towards them, among other miracles that he had saw. Makes his way back to Britain, but he's uneasy. He's from a wealthy family. All the people he grew up with have moved on in life. God begins speaking to him about going back to Ireland. Well, he's been a slave for six years. Go back to Ireland. And in obedience, he goes to Ireland, and then all the things happen that he was known for, the legends of snakes being gone, the legends of him raising over 33 people from the dead, even some who had been dead for years. Homie was just going, stomping through the graveyards. <laughs> and great favor was God and man to where he could do anything he wanted on the island because he was devoted this way to Christ. He was, saw himself as a missionary to this dark, stubborn place of Ireland. But in that obedience to the Lord, in that conviction, it caused him to move consistently back to the place that caused him the most suffering. And as a result, he became this amazing missionary that we naturally, uh, we go away from the things that make us suffer. What if we were not afraid of whatever it was. You know, coronavirus is over. It's, it's just over. I don't, we are supposed to go towards the things that everyone is running from. Why? Because he that is in me is more powerful than he that is in the world. In obedience, when I walk with conviction, in my consistency, I will see character and culture change and shift. So he, to honor him on his feast day, they said, you know what, you can drink. Even though it's Lent, you can drink. That's where the drinking comes from. Now it's become all about drinking. <laughs> but it was supposed to be a break in Lent to honor St. Patrick. This man who walked with Jesus on a dark island and saw him change the world. What is our conviction really if it doesn't take us beyond our comfort? 
It's just a thought. It's a shower thought. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this great thing. It's like, it has to take us beyond comfort, as is all love should. It is not love if it doesn't take us beyond comfort. It is something we are making up to be obedient to ourselves, to make ourselves feel better. Is it really faith if it doesn't cause us to go beyond comfort? Obedience to something that is your idea is less than ideal. That's an understatement, you know. (laughs) We want it to come from the King of Kings and the Holy of Holies. There's a whole book full of ways to walk in this world. And obedience, as well as suffering, is a characteristic of love, right? You are providing, you are being obedient to what God has called you to do consistently. Jesus in Gethsemane wrestling with God is still obedient to the fact that he needed to go to the cross. That it is they go together. That our privilege allows us to avoid suffering for a long time. And then it comes and we're shocked and surprised. Ah, people have been suffering forever. Us as believers, we should lean into it a different way. Because when you learn to move in conviction, you don't care about suffering. What you care about is not showing Jesus you love him. You don't care about suffering. You're just like, I want you to know how much I love you. And apparently, if I love you, I obey you, which means I listen to my convictions, let it go into consistency, and create a different character in me. And together, we create another culture. We love to talk about Daniel in the lion's den, you know what I'm saying? And it was amazing. God shut up the mouth of the lions. That was a miracle built literally on consistency, on him praying three times a day. And opening up his windows and turning towards Jerusalem and praying. Like, that's sick. That's a cult, something that changes the world. And people are going to talk about forever. How did that happen? Boom. Right on time, every day. And what's great and amazing is that, you know what? Let's say Tuesday you missed the mark, right? You got the next day to try again. Oh, I didn't, it didn't work this time. You know, I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to, like, like really reach out to that other person. It didn't work. You got another day, and every day his mercies are new. Every day you get a chance to try again. But until we interject consistency into our lives, then we cannot be- begin to grow into the excellence that God has called us to grow into. I'm not an expert on a lot of things. Real estate, you know what I'm saying? I'm banking. We can go down the list. I'm not, you know, I'm not equipped to give advice on a lot of things people ask me on advice for. But what I am equipped to give you advice on is how do you grow next to God and next to Jesus consistently in your life? Give yourself a clean slate every day and say, all right, tomorrow is going to be better. All right, then tomorrow's going to be better. Then tomorrow's going to be better. And before you know, you have built something with consistency that cannot come by the things we do only occasionally. You guys want to stand up?
we always get another chance. And we can be those who are convicted beyond our comfort as we step and walk into it. You know, this I'm struggling with this. Like, I, I can't figure out I'm, my finances. I'm having a hard time with that. I don't know what's going on. Like I said, I can't, I can, you know, point you in the direction of some good budgeting apps, that sort of thing. Um, but I do know that when we act like God, good things happen. <laughs> When we act like Jesus, good things happen. He's loving, compassionate, and generous in every single way and has called us into this place. That conviction to us would feel like an invitation. That God would go, here's an invitation into my heart. Here's an invitation into the goodness that I have for you. And we, as Missio Day Humble Park, would take our water and take our sunshine and water that seed as best as we can so that God can open up abundance. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I thank you that you have given us so much love and that Jesus has shown us the way by being obedient, even obedience unto death on the cross. And as such, showing us a way to be just like him. Let our conviction move us into action, into consistency, God. Let our conviction be one that moves us from comfort. Because we know that discomfort is the way, really, into love. Now, this is not some kind of a holiday or a hallmark holiday. But it is the reason that you died for us on the cross. Because you loved us so much. And we thank you. I thank you for everyone here, that you would hold their hearts in your hand, God, and that you would let your presence speak to them and walk with them and talk with them as you have always desired every single day of their life and every day to come. And in Jesus' name.